0: First Timothy chapter six. Obviously, Pastor Craig is gone, and Andrew. You don't see Andrew, so it's up to me. And Barry tonight will be uh, preaching tonight. Thank you, Tony, for taking the songs. That was great, just filling in like that. Amen. I want to talk to you about the good fight. The good fight. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm actually going to start in verse uh, 6. I know it says 11 up there, but I want to start in verse 6 where it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And it just feels like you, you just drop in the middle of something there when you read that. That's uh, because of the verse preceding that it says uh, that some. Obviously, false teachers were supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. So Paul's talking to young Timothy here, and in this verse that I want to start on, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession, before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in time when in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto whom no man hath seen nor can see to whom be honor and power everlasting amen you see that there who only hath immortality only God has immortality you say well I'm immortal I'm going to heaven I have an eternal soul you're absolutely right but it was given to you God has immortality he always was and he always will be we were given immortality amen that's who we serve, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I want to talk about fighting a good fight. You know, I remember as a young man, a well, young man, a young boy, uh, man, that'd be the early 60s, I'd only be 8, 10 years old, I remember sitting down with my dad on Friday nights watching uh, the fights. <laughs> he loved the middleweights. We would sit there and I would sit down on the floor and he'd be behind me sitting on the couch there watching... The fights, the middleweights, and uh, this is a long, long time ago. But um, at the end of the fights, he'd say, "That was a good fight. Those two guys went at it for 15 rounds or whatever. It was a good fight." And you know what? We have a good fight ahead of us. We are supposed to be fighting a good fight, and that's what we read there in verse t- verse 12: "Fight the good fight of faith." Now, just with a little bit of background, turn back a page, maybe or two. To 1 Timothy 3.15, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul says to Timothy, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how, how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So Paul was telling Timothy, I've written these two books to tell you how to behave yourself as a preacher there in the church. And uh, it's the church that Jesus Christ died for. He died for us. And it's the pillar and the ground of the truth. If you're going to find truth anywhere, it should be with God's people. It's sitting in your lap. This is the pillar and ground of the truth in the church of Jesus Christ. So, he's telling this uh, young preacher how to behave himself in the church of God. But you know what? We all need to learn how to behave ourselves in the church of God. This is not just written to Timothy. I believe we can look at these same verses and find out what we are supposed to do and why we are supposed to do it. I'll tell you why. Because we're in a serious fight. You know, families are falling apart, and uh, you see what they've done in Ireland here, the referendums that have been passed, and the world keeps spiraling away from God, and it just seems like the church is just as carnal as the world is, and just as secular as the world is sometimes. Look, I'm not pointing the finger at you just like you don't point the finger at me. I have to look in the mirror and say, am I standing up for Jesus Christ? Am I fighting a good fight? Or do I just come here on Sunday morning and that's it for the week? Well, my, 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 there's a lot of churches that just come in on Sunday morning or Saturday evening and that's it for the week. I say we're soldiers for Jesus Christ. I say we're in an army and we're supposed to be fighting a good fight because our own families are at stake. And the souls of men and women and boys and girls are at stake. They're dying and going to hell every day. And it doesn't seem to affect us. Many Christians are misbehaving. They're not fighting a good fight. You know what? Now I know Pastor Craig's away and I know Andrew's away. But I see some people that are AWOL. You know what AWOL is? Absent without leave. Did somebody, get a, did somebody get a ticket that they weren't allowed to be here today or weren't supposed to be here today? I don't know. And tonight, another half of the church or more will not be here tonight. You say you're stepping on some toes. And tuck your toes back in or do something about what, what you're not doing in your life and what you should be doing. Because when church doors are open, we ought to be here. Amen? I would say, you know, when a person leaves their post, you know what the army calls them? A deserter. You left your post. No one told you you could leave. Why are you not standing at your post? Introduction. Being a Christian will be a struggle at times, won't it? It's not easy. It's a fight. It's a real fight to be different than the world around you. It's getting harder and harder all the time. I'm finding it harder and harder all the time. Though the more I side with Jesus and the closer I get to Him, the more different I am than that world. Because the world is spiraling away from God at a rapid rate. It, is, it, has, it has not gotten their thoughts. They don't care about God. They just care about themselves. And But by the grace of God, there would I be. Except I got saved, and I want to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good fight. You know, there's a lot of pitfalls for the Christians. In Galatians 5.17, it says, The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another. That you cannot do the things that you would. I know you have a struggle. I know I have a struggle. The man that wrote that had a struggle. His name was Paul. He had a struggle. It goes on every day in your flesh and in your spirit. The Spirit of God is telling you to go this way. And your flesh is pulling against you to go that way. Your soul is in limbo every day. You have to make a decision. It's a fight. That's what it is. It's a fight, but it's a good fight. You know, the man who witnessed to me lived a life that matched his lips. John Mitchell was a stellar Christian. And the more I watched his life, I wanted that. And when he opened his mouth, I couldn't get enough of it. I was listening to God speak to me. Really. The man's life just lifted up what he had to say. And I wanted to be like that. I, I saw Jesus in him. You know, when last week the teens came over the house and they watched The Case for Christ about Lee Strobel, an American reporter who was an atheist and sought after God and said the resurrection, if the resurrection is true, then I'll believe. And he found out when he studied and he studied and he studied and got the facts that the resurrection is true, amen? Jesus Christ is alive today. He found that out. But you know what else he said? He told his wife, he said, you didn't move from where you were. You, your life, helped me to believe in Jesus Christ. And I wonder if any of us can say, there's times when I know that someone's told me that they were watching me. Maybe they were watching my life and they saw something different in me. And then I was able to witness to them. We ought to be like that. Our life should match our lips, what we're saying. It's our own personal walk with God that people cannot deny. You have a testimony. It's your testimony. When's the last time you told someone how you became a Christian? It's something that people can't deny. A changed life speaks very loudly. A person's private life cannot be divided from public life. If your private life is defiled, don't think you're going to have an honorable public life. Sooner or later, your sin will find you out. And you will come down crashing like everyone else. That's trying to hide sin in their life. Look, all you got to do is look at Hollywood. They are defiled. They look good on the outside, but they are defiled. They're not honorable in my eyes. That Baptist preacher who lived across the street, he was honorable. Just a simple man trying to uh, to live a life for Jesus Christ. That is what brought me to Christ. And, of course, the wonderful gospel. Misplaced love. Our love of the world and love of money weakens us for a good fight. Soldiers have their heart ripped out of their chest. Soldiers for Christ. Because they they begin to have a love for the world and a love for money. A love for the things of this world. I call it a lack of contentment. And that's what it says in our verses here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6-7 For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Whew! It's a lack of contentment on on the part of many Christians. You're just not satisfied with the life that you have in Christ. You're not satisfied where you are. You don't have any rest, any peace with God. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor. A rich man can be just as discontented as a poor man. doesn't matter. Both can lack contentment. You know, our text, our text says that food and clothes are enough. <laughs> you know, we ought to be content if we just have clothes on our back and food in our stomach. Paul said that's enough. I wish I was content with just the clothes on my back and food in my stomach because I like to sleep in my bed at night. But apparently Jesus didn't have that either, but he was as content as could be. I want to be like him. I want that to be enough if it could. Just food and clothes, that could be enough to make me content. That's what we strive for. You know, there's some utopian paradise will not satisfy you unless you are content with you are. With what you are and who you are and where you are right now. No matter what you get, you'll never be content until you're content where you are right now. It's godliness with contentment that is great gain. Not gain is godliness. Some are not happy right where God has placed you right now. You know what disc- discontentment is? It's a heart problem. You've got, you got a problem in your heart. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Just back a few books to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Maybe you've never looked at this verse the same way, verse 13. The same way you'll see it when it's attached in its context. But for, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says, Not that I speak in respect of one. Paul says, I'm not telling you this because I have a desire for more things. For I have learned, he said, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And I know both how to be abased, that means low and humble and needy, and I know how to abound, be abound, to have great things and a great amount of things everywhere. And in all things, I'm instructed to both be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. How do you do that, Paul? Well, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ with strengtheneth me. Have you ever asked Christ to strengthen you so that you're content with your life the way it is right now? Unless you're, 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 in, a, you're in gross sin, Unless you're in disobedience to God, I wouldn't be content with that. But for the most part, our lives ought to be content with where God has us at this moment in time. And the only way that can happen is if you have God and you lean on Him and you trust Him. Well, then there's the love of money. That's your God. And you know, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You can have a love of money. It doesn't matter whether you're as rich as Solomon or as poor as the widow. If she squeezed those two mites and that's all she thought about was those two little mites, she would have been had a love of money. It doesn't have, matter how much you have. It's where it's if it, it becomes controlling to you and it becomes your god, whether it's two little mites or whether it's billions of dollars. It's your desire for that money. Is it controlling your your life? It's certainly not wrong to have things. But when things have you, that's a problem. So rich and poor alike are snared by the desire for gain. It's a sinful life of lusting after worldly things, always wanting more and more and more. Like I was telling somebody, and I probably told you a thousand times, Rockefeller uh, had more money than could choke a horse, all the money this guy had. But when they asked him, what do you want? What do you want? If you could have one more thing, he said, one more dollar. Just one more dollar. He wasn't content. His money was his God. Pastor Craig's told you about all these rich people that have killed themselves and lived horrible lives because all they thought about was money. They're not content. Trapped by one's own desire at any cost, more, more, more. You're not content. Christian becomes ineffective the bible says back in back in 1 timothy chapter 6 it says for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows don't go there oh man of god don't go there don't err from the faith don't move away from the truth if money's your god when money talks you'll listen to money you'll listen to what those gods are telling you to do instead of Almighty God and what the Bible is telling you to do. You become ineffective. And God is no longer the first thing in your life. God is no longer the best thing in your life. The money is. And the desire to have it. As if God is somehow going to drop you off and say, I'm not taking care of you anymore. David said, I've never seen the righteous begging bread. So what are we worried about? God will take care of us. Amen. He's taking care of me. You know, many a soldier for Christ has fallen on their sword because of this, the love of money. It's taking your eyes off of the things that really matter in life as a Christian. And they're just a shell of what they used to be. So these two things, as far as I'm concerned, are poison to the Christian. 1 Timothy 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. So, what do we do? First thing we do, he tells the man of God in verse 11, 1 Timothy 6, 11, is, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. So the very first thing we are to do in order to fight the good fight is run. <laughs> run away. As fast as you can, run away from sin. Because it's it every one of us and it destroys us. Sin is a killer. The wages of sin is death it doesn't change for the christian the wages of sin still brings death in your life also not eternal death in hell but it can bring physical death it can destroy your life the first thing the man of god and woman of god needs to do is flee these things flee sin because it kills we're warned that the desire of worldly gain and the love of money are these things to flee from Let's look at some others. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You look up the word flee, and here's some of the verses that you'll find. 1 Timothy 6, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. What does it say? Flee, fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication Sinning sinneth against his own body. It's a direct effect on your physical body when you commit fornication. Any sexual relations outside the marriage bed. It's a direct sin against your body. It affects the body physically. Besides the pornography and the filth that's on the things that are in our pocket, if we went to look for it, it's right there. What are the kids looking at? That is fornication and it weakens the Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. Wherefore, my beloved, I'm my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. You know, when you're covetous, covetous and you're, you're lusting after things, uh, that's idolatry. They become your God. You begin to serve them. What are your idols? What are those things in your life that have become your God? that come before a good one-hour read of the Bible in the morning. One of those things that take the place of God in your life. They're your idols. Flee idolatry. 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22. Turn over there. I don't hear you turning unless you're there before me. 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lusts but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we should be doing it together to flee youthful lusts. Flee those old sins. Don't go back to those things you used to do. You can remember what you did before you got saved, before Christ changed your life. Do you want to go back to that? Flee those youthful lusts. Why do we want to do all this? because we have an adversary. I need a soldier. Are there any soldiers out there? Any soldiers? Is it, that's your cue. <laughs> this is my soldier. He's going to go put his armor on. You better be thankful this is only plastic. Or maybe I ought to be thankful you don't hit me with that thing. Look, the Bible says in in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to take your life and destroy it, and your children, and your home life, and anything that you have in your life that is good. He wants to destroy it. Come over here. You notice, this man's ready for battle. You know why? Because he's fleed sin. And he's resisting the devil. Whom we resist steadfast in the faith, right? Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren, which are in the world. I can't get them. Because he's ready. He's a good soldier for Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, there's people that you see that are, that are that are dressed in their armor and they're ready for battle. And he put I hope they put us to shame. That I'm not as dressed for battle. I'm not as ready to follow my Lord Jesus Christ into wherever he takes me. Because the devil's trying to get it in his life, isn't he? Mm, I can't get in on this. Hey, did I get him? Every once in a while, the devil, the wiles of the devil, he finds a chink in your armor. Now, stay up here. Turn to 2 Timothy. You're in 2 Timothy. Look back in verse 3. 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier for Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. No man at war entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And then and if a man also strive for the masteries for victory. Yet he's not crowned, except he strive lawfully. But he does it biblically. He does it the right way. He does it by the rules. Hardness. I want you to think about that. Think. What have you ever given up for Jesus Christ? What hardness have you ever experienced for Jesus Christ? And if you did, do you regret it? I hope not. I don't regret anything that I gave up for Jesus Christ. It's how much have I given up? How many times have I denied the flesh and denied myself so that I could please the Lord Jesus Christ, so that I could be a soldier? Have you given up anything that you love? You won't regret it. God will repay you a hundredfold. Lands and children and houses. All those things, If you just be faithful to him. But you know what? (laughs) We can't fight if you become entangled in this world, right? So, the devil's going to resort to something else. Keep your stuff on. Don't put your shield down. You see what it says there? We can't fight when we're entangled with the affairs of this life. Come over here. So what the devil tries to do (laughs) is entangle you with the affairs of this life. (laughs) All right. Tony, would you, uh, Proverbs 5.22, would you turn there? You know, there's a lot of little things that can start entangling us in the affairs of this life, and they might keep us from being here on Sunday morning. Like uh, I don't know, maybe rugby or soccer, or some kind of football, or some kind of match on the TV. Or there's all kinds of things. Or or we got to be at the beach today, or we got to do this or that, and people aren't here. You know what? They become entangled with the affairs of this life. This life's too short. It's just a little vapor. And it's going to be gone, and someday we're going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 5.22, Tony. Once this man not only gets, he gets um, entangled with some of the affairs of this life, like I just mentioned, but now he's got sin in his life. Now he's got sin in his life. Now he's not quite so hard to battle against, you see, because (laughs) I can get you now. (laughs) You can throw your shield up, but then I go down there. He's just not as quick on his feet, you know what I mean? I'm over here now. What are you doing? (laughs) Why? It's serious, though. These are Christians, and they're being slaughtered. They're being taken down there. He is of no effect anymore. The devil has him. He's caught up in his sin. I could take this one off, take this rope out, and I could tie his arms together. He wouldn't be able to even defend himself. Sadly, that's Christians today. We're entangled with the affairs of this life, and we're not pleasing the one who saved our very soul. We're pleasing ourselves. Stay there, I'll help you out in a minute here. But he is entangled with sin. We can be entangled with the business. The busyness of this world, the concerns of this world, the matters of this world, and all the social affairs of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are of another world. And that's the one we ought to be fighting for. That's the one we ought to be embracing. But verse 5 says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Victory comes to the sanctified soldier. Victory comes to the one who is not entangled with the affairs of this life. He's got his focus right. He's keeping his eyes on the Lord. He's in church when the doors are open. He's reading his Bible. He's praying. He's going out soul winning. He's trying to be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. And besides that, he's not mired in sin. Wouldn't it be nice? You can sit down. Thank you. Wouldn't it be nice... If when the devil came knocking at you or so, you were prepared. You don't run from the devil. You turn around and you face him in the armor of God. And by faith you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But well, many of us are mired in sin. But victory comes to the sanctified soldier. That word morale. How do I get you? Fired up. Just look into your Bible and see what God wants you to be. How can I get you stirred up to do something for Jesus Christ? Well, the word moral is in there. Do you see that word moral? You need a heart for God. You need to want to do it. Just raising my voice or or looking straight in the eye and saying, what are you doing for Christ is not going to do it. You have got to be convicted down in your heart. Christ has got to be talking and speaking to your heart and you've got to say, I'm sick of the way I'm living my Christian life. I want to fight for Jesus Christ. I want to be a soldier for Christ. I want to fight the good fight. Get yourself stirred up. Too many are quitting. Too many are running to sin. Too too many Christians are dirty up to their necks in sin. What do we do? You do have a choice. You don't have to live a sinful life. Turn to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six, in verse. If you want to go back to verse ten, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. Who was that? Jesus Christ, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Galatians 2.20 said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me and gave himself for me. So I am dead with him in Christ, but I'm alive in Christ. Jesus our Lord, verse 12. Let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. Let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace. We don't have to serve sin. We don't have to submit to sin anymore. Sin does not really have power over us anymore. The penalty's been taken care of. The power of sin has been diminished, except the presence of sin. It's still here. It's, we still live in a sin-cursed world. But we can choose whether we're going to live in sin or fight the battle. Fight the good fight. You determine who you're going to be. You determine. Who you're going to serve. Flee these things. What about follow after? Was the next thing there in verse 12, uh, verse 11. Flee these things and follow after. Follow after. Boy, we could use a lot of followers of Jesus Christ. It would be good to have a lot of people just lockstep behind Jesus Christ, following Him. You know, you're always headed one way or another. And we're told very clearly that we should be following after. So the road is laid out before us. We're supposed to be following Jesus. He's given us the Bible. He's the one that we're, we're following. And, uh, one is easy though. One's an easy road. One's, one's well traveled and one's harder. And it's got some, it's got some problems in it there. You got to watch where you're, where you're going. You got to pay attention. But we're supposed to take the hard road. It's not easy being a Christian in this world today. I didn't say it was easy. It's just something we're supposed to be doing. But it's not easy. To be different today is not easy. Our goal is the character of Jesus Christ. Our goal is to yield to Him. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Our goal is the character of Jesus Christ in us. You know you have all the fruit of the Spirit in you right now? The only difference is are you yielding to Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy peace long suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness meekness temperance against such there is no law so if you're following Christ if he has if he has complete control of your life those things will be evident people will see it but that doesn't mean they go away Christ still lives in you Christ is still there but if you're not yielding to him then these things will not be evident in your life this is the fruit of the spirit this is not something you can drum up this is not something you can fake Only God can bring forth the fruit of the Spirit through your life. All we do is yield. Just like the apple tree just spreads its branches, and and it's the tree that brings forth the apples at the end of the branch. I'm the branch. Jesus Christ is the vine. All I do is abide in Him, and He brings forth fruit in my life. If I yield to Him, it's His job. My job is to yield. It's not easy. It demands a good fight. But that good fight is to yield to Jesus Christ. Okay? So our goal. No one is more determined, effective, and clothed in victory than a clean child of God on the hunt for souls. Nothing is more effective than that soldier that was up here when he was ready for the devil, serving the Lord. The opportunities, though, are rapidly declining, aren't they? Does anybody go door knocking in here? Let me see your hands. Anybody go door knocking at all? Nobody goes door knocking. All right, one, two, three, four. Don't be afraid to raise your hand. Do you knock on doors and try to win people to Christ? All right, so I wish a lot more hands were up, but they're not. But you know how hard it is now to get somebody to give you 10 seconds at the door. They don't want to know nothing that you have to say. It's hard. I made the decision, I believe God called us down to McCroom. Wow. Wow. You talk about hard. And uh, I prayed, and I I prayed yesterday, and I prayed. I said, Lord, would you give me somebody to talk to? Now, what I meant by that was somebody that would give me more than a few seconds, and and a a smile, and then so they could walk away, and yeah, yeah, thanks for the track. And so I went by the building that we've been trying to get for the past 25 years, and, uh, and I looked in the window, and everything looked the same, and so I said, all right, I'm going to walk to a person that I had talked to before, Curry, and see if she'll take the Dunn book. Maybe I can get her to read the Dunn book. So it was about a kilometer walk. I started walking, and as I was walking, I was passing doors. Now, if you know McCroom, the doors are like, here's a door, here's a door, here's a door. And I was passing doors, and I went, what am I doing? There's, I just passed three doors. The Holy Spirit smote me. I had a whole pocket full of tracks. So I went back and I started knocking on doors. One lady didn't want to know nothing. The one weren't home. But I came to at the fifth house, and there was Coleman McCarthy. He said, I just came back after years and years living in Boston. You could tell that he might be having some problems with drink or did have pro- some problems with drink. I sat in his house for an hour, talking to him about Jesus Christ. I'm hoping he comes out on Wednesday. Uh, To the Bible study, I'm hoping that I have an opportunity to go back. He said, "This won't be the last time you'll see me, Dan," and I said, "Good. I'd like to come back, and even if we just have a Bible study and see see how to be saved." Sometimes, you know what you need. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. You know what I need? I need more tears. I need for this to affect me more in my heart than just going out like a like I'm some kind of robot, and you just knock on the door. Where's my, where's my desperate need to find somebody that'll listen and tell them about Jesus Christ? And finally, God gave me somebody. And, and I'm, you know, I can tell you, all we're in the number one Catholic town in West Cork, McCrew. There's still people there that need to hear the gospel. I don't care if I'm sitting in the Catholic church. People need to hear the gospel. So no more excuses. Colum, Col- Coleman McCarthy... And when I tried to spell his name, he said, make sure you say McCarthy, not McCarthy. He said, this is McCroom. I said, all right, whatever you say. M A C C A R T H Y. So I've been praying for him. I'm praying that God will just open his heart and I get another chance to talk to him. But my fight, my fight is not with people dying and going to hell. My fight's not with them. My fight's with me. That's where the fight is with me to be a soldier for Christ. To do what I'm supposed to do. I I can't make them do anything. But I can make me do what I'm supposed to do. And my fight's with the devil, amen? That I might win some. So what we have is righteousness. We ought to live righteously, it says in 1 Timothy 6 um, and in verse 11. Righteousness, follow after righteousness. What happened to purity and goodness and holiness? And just doing what is right. The kids years ago used to have a bracelet that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? What has Jesus done? Just read your Bible, and you'll know how to be a Christian. You'll know how to live your life uh, with, with, with a sense of what is right. All day, every day, we're tempted to compromise and to stop living a life, of, a life for Jesus Christ. Go this way. Go that way. Look at this. Look at that. Listen to this. Do this. But there's a right way, and there's a wrong way. And we ought to live a righteous life. Follow after righteousness. Follow after godliness. Godliness. A life which seeks to follow God and show forth His character. To be like Him. When I looked at John Mitchell, he just... So that's what Jesus... Who Jesus is. Now I am not calling Him Jesus, but I saw Jesus in Him. And I wanted what He had. The peace that was in this man. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 talks about all the wickedness that we see in the world today. Uh, lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And then in verse 5, it says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Godliness is, is something that you emulate when you're emulating God. You want to be like Him. You live a life that, is, that, that shows forth Jesus Christ. That's Godliness. Romans 12.2 says, be not conformed to this world. Well, Romans 8.29 says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And when we are, that's godliness. Simple and clear enough, eh? Love. What should follow after love. Love is just, this kind of love is just showing affection to someone because you want to. It's a willing. You've made up your mind that you're going to love someone. You're going to show affection to them. It's your will. It's your choice. At any cost. You remember the woman in Luke chapter 7 who cried on Jesus' feet and kissed His feet and wiped His feet with her hair and poured ointment over it. And she didn't care about anybody else that was in the room. She humbled herself. And it didn't matter what it cost her as far as... Kissing his feet and everything she did for him, she was lavishing love on her Savior. We should be showing love. Patience. Just a mild, gentle cheerfulness while you wait. How many are patient? (laughs) I struggle with that. Some people may have patience, but it's, it's something. I need God to help me to have patience. I need to wait on him. I want to bear offenses without murmuring or complaining. Now, are you still patient? It's not a matter of waiting in line, sheepishly going up to your next. It's like, what are they doing up there? Why do we have to wait a half hour to go to the post office and stand in line for a half hour? That's not waiting patiently. Bearing offenses without any complaining. And then, meekness, the fruit of the Spirit. It means strength under divine control. You think Moses was a meek man? He said he was the meekest man in all the earth. You think that if you shook hands with him, he couldn't crush your hand inside of his? He was a man. But his strength was all under the divine will of God. That's meekness. I know another man that was meek. His name is Jesus Christ. He was meek and lowly. Men ought to be meek. That means all the strength that they have is under the the will of God. Conform to the image of Christ. Let me say this. You'll be a better fighter when you become a better yielder. The more you yield, the better you'll fight. The last one here is the fight. Christians don't fight anymore. We just like going with the flow, eh? It's easier to go with the flow than to pick up the sword and fight against the wiles of the devil and the lore of the world. (laughs) I'm mired neck deep in the world. I'm not fighting against something I love you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. And I don't want to be there. We are not pacifists. I don't mean knock down, drag out fights, but we are not pacifists. We're not one who believes that no war or violence is ever justifiable. You know that that if you have to defend yourself, you have to defend yourself. God gave you two cheeks, amen? You can turn the other one and then turn it again, turn it again, but there's a point where maybe you want to start defending yourself. And when somebody tries to come into your house or or nations fight against nations. God prepared David for war. Come on. Brethren, we're in a battle. But we've forgotten how to fight. We're in a battle for souls. There's people out there dying and going to hell because we will not take up arms and try to save as many as we can. It's a whole lot easier to go with the flow. Well, let me tell you this. <laughs> We have our families and our marriages and precious lives that are at stake. You know what I thought of this? What was a movie? Uh, War Horse. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. But anyway, it's trench warfare. It's World War I. And, and uh, these boys are hiding in their trench. And 50 meters away, the Germans are hiding in their trench. But at some point, they got to get up out of the trench and walk across open ground while they're getting mowed down. Why? What kind of courage? Where does that come from? Somewhere down deep in their heart they thought they were fighting for a cause. There was a reason that they got out of that trench into a hail of bullets. There's a reason they did that. They had a heart to do it. They had a moral compass inside of them pointing to God and family and and they just went and did it. They had duty. Where's that in Christians today? Where's our duty to get out of the trench and start walking and being the Christian we ought to be? to fight a good fight to fight a good fight the fight of faith i've got to believe god i've got to believe god i've got to trust him it's a fight of faith a fight to trust him and obey him we're to fight the good fight of faith and by the way if you don't trust your your captain you will not fight if you don't trust your captain you will not fight you won't follow him you know generals used to go into the battlefield <laughs> They used to actually be on the battlefield, with the soldiers. Uh, if you've been to my house, in the, in the sitting room is a picture of George Washington. He's kneeling by his horse, it's at Valley Forge, they spent six months there, they, the Continental Army waiting uh, to, to kind of gather up some strength, but it was a bitter winter there in, in Pennsylvania, just 20 miles outside of Philadelphia where the British had taken the city, the capital city at that time in the United States. And uh, Washington is out there with his troops, at Valley Forge for six months in the snow. He wasn't back in some hotel. He wasn't back in some nice warm tent. He was with his troops. In fact, when he left to be the general of the Continental Army in 1775, and the battles weren't over, the war wasn't over until Yorktown and Cornwallis surrendered in 1781. That was six years that Washington spent with his troops on the battlefield. He wasn't back at the Potomac by his plantation where his house was. He was a rich man. He was on the battlefield with his men. Today we have drones and satellites and radios. The the generals could be on the other side of the world, for crying out loud. We have our commander. He's with us every step of the way. Jesus Christ is with you every step of the way. When no one else is around, Christ is there. He's with you in the battle. Have Jesus. 2 Timothy 4:7 says Paul in verse 7 says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course. The faith. Paul finished because the Lord enabled him to finish. Paul trusted the Lord and he finished. Well, we need to finish too. We need to finish right. Because we we found him faithful. Many lose courage, though. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attend attain under the resurrection of the dead. You know, we lose heart, and we lose courage when we don't know our leader. You say, uh, I'm a Christian. You may be. I hope you are. But how much do you read your Bible? How much do you know about Jesus? Because if you knew Jesus, you'd be in the battle. You'd be in the fight. If you knew your leader, if you really knew him, you would give up everything like Paul did. Nothing would stop you from following Him. Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Obviously, he wanted the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. But if you know more about Jesus, you will follow Him. You'll know that He'll never give you up. Paul's greatest need was to know Jesus Christ. And Paul gave up everything but Jesus. He let it all go, but God. He held on to Him, and God used Him. Go back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll finish up here. Lay hold on eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith in verse 12. Lay hold on eternal life. Our greatest moment is yet to come. You know that? This is the worst you're going to have it, people. This is the worst it's ever going to get. Next stop, heaven. Amen? Next stop is heaven. This is the best that the world's ever going to have their next stop is hell our greatest moment is yet to come it's yet in the future it's coming reach out for that which is to come embrace eternal life with Jesus Christ face to face the sights of heaven the sounds of heaven the smells of heaven can you imagine when you when you grab him and you hold him tight and he's and you're hugging him and you smell him and he smells so sweet and what purity smells like What sinlessness smells like. The smells of heaven. It's coming. It's all there. Don't waste time down here on other things. Set your affection on things above. It's right there. Embrace heaven now with your life. So that when you get there, say, I knew it was going to be like this. I prepared for this. Set your affection on things above. You know, I hate to get you back, go back to uh, Philippians, will you please? Philippians chapter 3, I thought I set this up. Philippians chapter 3, maybe you're there. Uh, Verse 12, it says, "Uh, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet, he's saying. But there's one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul pressed forward. He was laying hold on that which was to come. Trying, he he, he didn't he wasn't there yet, but he wanted to apprehend that which was to come. His accomplishments and his successes didn't stop him. I know you've taught Sunday school, or you've done this, or you've done that, and you think I'm a successful Christian. Well, don't let that stop you from going on. Don't say, I I did that already. So what? Do it again. Keep pressing on. Amen? And don't let your failures stop you either. Keep pressing on. What can I say? Don't waste another moment down here. But do in the will of God. So what's our charge? Verse 14 of 1 of, of Timothy 6 says that thou keep this commandment without spot. Keep the commandment. We're to obey the commandment, which is to fight the good fight. How we serve is in verse 14 that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep our testimonies without stain. Live a life that is holy and pure and without blemish until Jesus comes back. Who we serve, verse 15 who which in times past, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate. You know what potentate means, don't you? Almighty God, all-powerful God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So, who do we serve? We serve God. Amen. You're not serving the pastor. You're serving Almighty God. He's the creator of the universe. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. That's who I do my service for. If there's anyone else that you'd rather please than Jesus, I'd like to know who it is. And finally, verse 19 says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against, uh, a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold on eternal life. You see, we're gonna, an examination day is coming. We're going to have to bow the knee. And we're going to have to answer to God for the life that we lived on this earth. Not for our sin, that's taken care of at the cross. But how you live right now, Christian, we'll have to bow the knee and we'll have to answer for it. And I would love to have more to give to him than that be burned up when I walk away with ashes. The examination day is coming. It's closer than ever before. Amen. This is the charge to you all this morning. The charge is in verse 15 and 16 that we serve Almighty God, the potentate. That we ought to flee sinful ways and fight the good fight of faith. We need some Christians to get in the battle for righteousness. We need some Christians to get in the battle for their own homes and their own families. You know, the day that I think what I'm trying to preach here is unpopular is the day that my heart would be pulled out of my chest. If I feel like I was offending somebody in here, or that somebody was maybe not getting what they needed, it would bother me to to no end. I'm trying to preach to you and tell you that we need to see exactly what is at stake here. There is a hell. And our families are, are in a battle. And moms and dads have got to say, they're not getting my kids. They're not getting my kids. I'm going to be a soldier in my home. If I'm going to do anything, I'll be a soldier in my home. We need some Christians to get in the battle for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. So what do we do? Try to snatch some brands from the fire before it's too late. We're going to fight the good fight. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that uh, this is written. It just, just tears us up because we have to take a good look at our own lives and I wonder, am I a soldier for Jesus? Where am I, Lord? Uh, am I doing that which pleases you? Am I entangled in any of the affairs of this world? Lord, I need to, I need to see that. Show it to me, Lord. I, I want to do the best that I can for you. Not to please anybody else, but to please you. Lord, this race I run is, is just to get to the finish and finish well. I'm striving for the masteries. So, Lord, we're not, we're not trying to hurt anybody or we're trying to get sober here and vigilant because we have a battle to fight. I pray that we'd be clean and armed and ready with a heart that wants to serve God. We love you this morning, Lord, and I pray that you just, just drive this down deep into our hearts today. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.